I'm a writer. I love writers and I coach writers. So it makes sense that I'd interview writers from all areas, blogging, TV, film, songwriting, podcasting, but also the new writers, the first timers that did it, that took the plunge because at one point they heard from someone, you should write a book about that. Money, money, money. What a big conversation for women how we can make more, believe we should, and be joyful in the process. Financial Mm. coach Linda Lingo wants to talk about money in her book, and she's a perfect example of what drives people to be authors. Her professional and her personal experiences Mm. are relatable and value to so many women. And today- she can stand in financial freedom in an abundant way. I hear you going, aha, aha, in my <laughs> intro. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kim. So happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. You had a terrible experience professionally with a financial advisor and realized you could do the job a lot better. What was that mm-hmm. initial leap like when you decided you were going to do that? It was one of those things where I'm a high achiever, whether that's good or bad. And I just walked out of the office after having this horrible experience with him thinking, I don't want other women to have the same bad experience with their financial advisor. I want them to be able to uh, relate to their financial advisor and, and not be afraid to ask questions and not glaze over when the person, the financial advisor starts speaking the lingo. So I always say, <laughs> I don't use the lingo when we're when we're talking. So what did it feel like? Well, honestly, I thought I can do this. I know I can do it because I'm, I'm a CPA. I have an MBA in finance. So I knew I'd have to learn some new stuff to pass you know, the, the exams, obviously. But I was excited. I was excited because... It gave me an opportunity to serve women in an area that I had not been able to do so before. So I was excited, right. energized. That's very exciting. Yes. And, and I, I want to kind of focus a little bit in on what you said about the asking the questions. Mm-hmm. It is so true. Like women are so inquisitive and we're so smart. I mean, come on, we like rule the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and yet it's true when it comes to something we might not understand, there might be that tendency to be like, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to be like the only one that doesn't know this. So I'm not going to ask. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, this is money. I'm asking a million questions. And I want someone like you, who's a smart coach, to have the answers to those questions. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have the answers to the questions and there is money there, where is the mindset piece that you find with women mm-hmm. that is like really getting in their way? Oh, great, great question. The majority of the women that talk to me lack confidence. It's totally confidence. a confidence issue. They're not confident they're asking the right question. They're not confident that they know enough to even start managing their money, let alone start investing. I mean, that's really scary to some women. So it's lack of education and that, you know, total lack of confidence, which when they're done with me, they have confidence and they are ready to build wealth their way. 
I bet. I bet. Now you were in a transformation also personally. You had left mm. a 40-year marriage. Mm. And tell me a little bit about what was that like to be financially on your own for the first time in decades? Well, first of all, oh, this is a, first, a true confession. So I stayed in the marriage because I had our retirement numbers nailed down. I okay. knew what our retirement was going to be. And it took me getting to a place of not being able to accept the marriage and just the emotional part to finally say, okay, I can deal with the money on my own. Mm. I was so tied to the retirement plan. It was difficult for me to sever the tie. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that though. I really, I mean, I think that's big for a lot of women is that they are mm -hmm. attached and they think there can't possibly be any other way. I've worked so hard to get to this place. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give up, you know, what I've built and then get right. how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you're miserable in your marriage, doesn't matter if you've got the retirement plan, right? Exactly. I always say in my divorce, the hardest day for me was writing the six-figure check. The best day for me <laughs> was the freedom it afforded me. It was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. And I can tell you, I have never looked back. You know, and sad part of that story really is I believed the negative money stories he had told me about myself. I believed him. He kept, he always said, I couldn't manage money. I didn't know how to manage a budget. I was no good at doing whatever it was around money about planning for our retirement. It was like, well, what the heck? You know, I am good at, but I believed him. And I see that with so many women, you know, we accept stories that we're told without taking the time or even realizing that we are accepting those and we right. don't really question them until something happens, until we go right. through a transition, whether it's a divorce, whether, you know, it's empty nester, whether it's you're a widow, whether, you know, all of a sudden um, you're really focused, you turn 50, that was it's another, holy crap. How did this That's happen? a big moment. That's a big <laughs> yeah. moment, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and being very honest about that. Mm -hmm. I know uh, I'm in my early 50s and I am just getting financially started and it's extremely exciting. And the more you realize that you can do and the more you realize you start to understand about your finances, the more empowered you are, right? To Absolutely. Do more, do more with your money, do more with mm -hmm. your money. So you've been a financial coach for about eight years, which is mm -hmm. great. It's it's long as I've been a book coach. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're at the same, same path here in our, yeah. in our careers. So tell me a little bit more about when they have this process of working with you, how quickly do they get personal? Like, do you really have to pull that out of women? When you ask the right questions and listen, they will share. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find that that's a big difference. And people ask me a lot of times, what's the difference between a financial advisor and a financial right. coach? Which is a great question. A financial advisor handles the investment side of it. A financial coach should be asking you questions like, what is your relationship to money? 
you know, uh, what are the money stories that and, you've accepted right. or that mm-hmm. you're dealing with? What are your money blocks? And what working through that, not just asking the questions, but actually giving them tools to work through it. I start with money mindset, money blocks, and then we move on to what are your values? And I don't think you'll find very many financial advisors who ask, well, what are your values or what is your relationship to money? Right. You know, kind of start with, okay, this is the amount of money you have. What do you want to do with it? Let's invest it, which is fine. That's what that's the financial advisor's role. Whereas a financial coach starts way before that so mm-hmm. that I prepare them to then work with a financial advisor. Right. And the financial advisor might talk about values in terms of, you know, wanting your kids to go to college education is an important value, maybe Mm -hmm. legacy building as part Mm -hmm. of the investment, but they're really looking to put money into pots, right? Right. And that's where goals, right? That's goals where you're talking Mm -hmm. about like, how are we going to, you know, uh, motivate ourselves to believe that we should have money, right? Absolutely. And, And I start actually with an exercise that, that starts with a question, what's important about money to you? And you have to answer with a value, a value, not a goal, but a value. And then we build from there. And so by the time we're done, you actually have your 10 core values. Because if you set goals, okay, I want to save for retirement. I want to put my kid through college. I want to save for a down payment on my house. I want to pay off my debt. Those are great goals. But if they're not in alignment with your values, You're not going to follow through. Did you know that January 14th is the day that most people fall off the bandwagon and give up on their New Year's resolutions? (laughs) I don't even make them because they're just, they're not sustainable. I mean, exactly. unless you really believe, I mean, if I believe in something that I want to, and I love what you're saying, I want everybody that's listening right now to go try and make that list of what money means to you in mm-hmm. terms of your values, right? Yep. Does it mean time, space, freedom? Go make your list. I mean, yeah. 10 yeah. seems like Security. a lot. I'd be hard pressed. to. I, I have to really think about that. 10's a lot, but maybe it's not when you sit down and, and really and really think about it. When we go through the process, so there's a process. So that's the first question. Then we build on that. But At a minimum, everyone should know at least what their top five values are, because I am a firm believer that those values, those core values are really your North Star. And Mm. they're what you, where you put your stake in the ground. And I mean, I was just coaching a young couple. He just lost his job. And so I challenged them to define their core values and then to dream a little bit. And this is what I also do with clients, especially women going through transition and it's Allow yourself to dream. What do you want your life to look like? Five Mm. years from now, what do you want your life to look like? Where do you want to live? Who do you want to be with? What do you want to be doing? I mean, I'm five five years out of my divorce. Let me tell you a little bit more. But I could not have imagined living the life I am right now five years ago. That's exciting. That's exciting. That's so motivating. That's so motivating. Well, you also talk about women seeing money as their best friend. Mm. And, and I, I can totally agree. I've had to go through a complete catharsis of realizing money is energy. Money comes in, money comes out. Money's my friend. Money loves me and I love mm. money, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you work with them? And like, give us like three ways, three three short ways that you help women in this process of making money their friend. Yeah, so it really goes 
back to their mindset and their story, because if they believe they're not good with money, then money's not their friend. If they were brought up with a story that, um, like I was, you have to work hard for your money. You know, it's, it takes a lot. That's a big one. Yeah. Then, then you're constantly thinking, oh my God, work is drudgery. Making money is tough. That also, it hampered me. It, It really restricted me from living an abundant life for many years So it's the money mindset, Mm -hmm. the money story, and understanding that you can, because it's all neuroscience, you can retrain your brain. And the way to retrain it is to recognize what you're thinking. I'm not good with money. Ah, that's a negative thought. I'm not good with money. Why do I think that? Right. Exactly. What's the root cause of that? Is that true? Is that true? Right. And then how else can I reframe it? Oh, I can't pay my bills. I always have enough money to pay the bills. I can manage my money. Mm -hmm. I am good with money. And it's those I ams, not I should, not I wish, not uh, I might try it, but really changing the mindset, Mm -hmm. making new pathways in that brain. That's right. And that's how you shift from that negative money mindset. Scarcity is what we call it to one of abundance. And the other thing is I have my clients, if they don't already start keeping a gratitude journal. Right. And every day, at least three things that you're grateful for, because what that does is it takes the view from inward to outward. Mm -hmm. And so when you can say that you're grateful for things and you are in a positive mindset and you start realizing, oh, I have this, I have that. And it can be as simple as this morning. I wrote down, I'm grateful for this flavored coffee creamer. I really like (laughs) this flavored coffee creamer. Right. It's okay. I was grateful for that in the moment when I was sipping my morning coffee. Mm -hmm. And it can be, I'm grateful for, you know, my kids. I'm grateful. And getting specific, the more specific you get when you're writing your, your gratitude, your journal it really helps you to focus on all the positive you have in your life. And when you start going through, ah, I have a positive thought and that creates a positive feeling and that creates a positive action and that is a positive result. And guess what? I am in this positive energy and that's how you can really make your transformation. That's amazing. And what I'm sort of, what I'm hearing from you as well, in terms of this is not going global, right? Like you can say, I'm not good with money, but if you really broke that down, you could identify there are places that you might be excellent with money. And there might be places that you could, you know, maybe do some work with money. Maybe you shouldn't be carrying a credit card because you charge on it too often and you don't have awareness of money. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're really good at paying off your loans, but you're not really good at paying your bills on time. And then you get some of the tools to kind of debunk those theories about whether you're good, whether you are or aren't good with money or not. Because I think a lot of us can go into like money denial Mm. and think we're in money denial globally, but we might just have that one area that's like scares us, right? That like we have that glass ceiling or that barrier. So many times that fear is caused because of lack of education, lack of knowledge. And so I encourage my ladies to every day spend at least five minutes. So it doesn't have to be a huge amount of time five minutes reading or listening 
to mm. something about money. So it's easy oh. to pop in a podcast when you're on the treadmill or out for a walk or when you're making breakfast. Five minutes goes by really fast. Pretty soon it's a 10-minute podcast you're listening to. But guess what? You start hearing about money. You start hearing about how people work with it, deal with it. Mm -hmm. And you pick up tidbits here and there. And it's that. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is a great idea. I want to talk to my friend about this. All of a sudden, it's not so scary to talk about money because I have some information I can share. Yeah, I love that. You know, that's really interesting. And I want to I want to get on to your book before we run out of time because you're going to help so many women with this book. But I just wanted to add on to what you said is that I don't remember what it was. I think it was like a an article in the New York Times or or maybe somewhere like the financial advice. I don't even know why I was reading it, but years ago I read this article about variable life insurance. And it, mm. at the time it was called something else that was a little bit like riskier. Mm. I the the name is I can't remember right now, but and I remember reading about that. I think that's really great. Like I could get a big life insurance policy, but I could also build cash value. Like that's mm -hmm. really interesting. So when I actually had money and met a financial advisor, I was able to say, have you heard of this thing, this variable life insurance? And like, I remember feeling a little bit of like, it wasn't shame, but it was almost like, who do you think you are coming in there with all your mm. big ideas about money? Because you mm. just read one article. You know, that was the voice. I, oh. But I pushed through and I was like, what do you got for products? You know, so- yeah. And I still Good have that you. policy. I still have that policy today and it has made me money. Yeah. So I think that's a great, great piece of advice. When we talked about your book, you mentioned that you wanted to, you know, do some legacy teaching to the different mm -hmm. age groups, right? Mm -hmm. 23 year old, 33 year old, 43 year old. How does money look? And I know this is a this is I don't want to generalize people, okay. but how does money look? for a 30-year-old versus like a 40-year-old? That's a great question. When you're in your, your 30s, I call it the accumulation phase. Okay. You're, you're accumulating things. So uh, maybe you're saving for your down payment on your first house. So you're accumulating a house. Maybe you've just upgraded your car. Maybe, you know, your mm. college car died. And so it's time <laughs> to get, you know, into a, right. a, a nicer vehicle. Or you've got kids and you now you need, you know, uh, something bigger to put the car seats in the back. So I call it the accumulation mm. stage. But it's not only materialistic, although that is a big part of it. Or, you know, it's also financially a lot. Of, you've got your career going typically. You're making a, a decent living, a good living. You maybe now have access to a 401k, so you sure. can start contributing to that. And so I would say in the 30s, it's accumulation. But this is what I found. So this is what I would say in my book is, I wish I had known in my 30s how to invest my 401k. Oh, so that's a big piece. That, it's a big piece. I mean, your HR person cannot tell you how to invest. Right. Many times the financial advisor who's in charge of your 401k plan, maybe you see them once a year for two minutes. And so <laughs> right. there's not education. And unless you are online mm -hmm. or unless you're listening to seminars or doing it your, it's yourself, there is not a lot of education. And I would say, that's one area that in your 30s, you really need to get educated on how to invest in your 401k because time is on your side. You right. know, you're, you're you 35. Yeah, you got 30 years. 
Yeah. So yes. what is what does risk mean? What is volatility? What what are stocks, bonds, mutual funds? How does all this play? I mean, that is right. That is the the age the to be doing that. So if you hit your 40s now and you're maybe didn't do what you were supposed to do in your 30s, what would be a good first step then to get going? Well, first of all, I always say it's never too late. Right. Of course. So never. You ramp it up. You make sure you're maxing out your retirement plan. You make mm-hmm. sure that you're living within your means. And and here's the thing. When we're young, we tend to, if we get a raise, what is the first thing we do? We buy shoes. standard of living. <laughs> yeah. We do something with, with it instead of Invest. putting it, investing it, putting it in our 401k. And I think it's difficult in our 30s because 30 years from now, that's a long time. You know, it's I'm hard to visualize that. Yeah. I'm not going to see the benefit for 30 years, mm-hmm. but I can tell you girls, Oh my gosh, that time goes by so fast. So in your 40s, you probably have kids that are in college. So if that's a big focus, you want to make sure you understand how to pay for that. If you didn't already have a 529 college plan that you started for the kids, you definitely want to ramp ramp up maximizing your contributions to your 401, maybe opening a a Roth IRA. Um, So it's things like that, that you can, 40s, you're at the peak typically or close to the peak of your career and your income, your 40s and your early 50s. That's that's really when you're going to peak income-wise. And it means you don't have to increase your standard of living, but live within what you've known and then be saving that extra so that you, know, you can have the retirement that you dream of. And retirement isn't what it used to be. It's not like you turn 65 and that day you stop working and then right. you go do nothing or go right. golfing or something. Right. So I call it, you know, it, there's a glide path or there's a phase. So so 40s is definitely ramping it up. And then we get to our 50s. And I always say that's my OMG moment. I don't know about you, but it was like, <laughs> holy crap, how did I get here? This is temp- typically empty nesters. So now all the kids are out of the house. It's maybe a time when you take a look and say, do we need this big a house? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is it time to consider downsizing a little bit? And if you're downsizing, maybe that means saving more. And if you've maxed out all your retirement accounts, good for you. But you can still save in a brokerage account. You know, you can be buying investments that way, too. So 50s and your life insurance. I think that was really critical. You should have life insurance all along the way. But in your 50s, it's definitely more of a retirement tool. And there's a lot of different ways to use it, including long-term care for women, which is a critical critical thing we we have to address. Which is an important thing. Well, mm-hmm. I have to say, I mean, I think that I am not of the norm. I am not downsizing at 53. I just bought my second property. Good but I but I see this though as part of the retirement plan and also mm-hmm. as part mm-hmm. of a legacy plan for my daughters, right? I had children Perfect. late. So I'm a little bit of that group of women that had my last child at 40. So mm-hmm. I still have a 13 year old. So I still have a lot of like work time and, and, and like, mm-hmm. you know, family at home time. And so I'm in a little bit of a different track and I, I, I'm just very, I'm very excited about real estate. It's exhausting, but I love mm-hmm. it. And it empowers me too to know Perfect. more about money loans and, and, and all that other, all that other stuff. But 
I, I'm really excited about you writing this book. We have to wrap it up, but just tell me, you know, what scares you about writing this book? I think sharing my stories mm. and being vulnerable. Yeah, I would say that that primarily. I would like to say one one final thing. I don't believe money is is money. You, you don't make money for money's sake. I'm also very big on creating wealth so that we can give back. Because I sure. really believe that women drive the economy, definitely in this country, but really in the world. And when we create wealth for our families, for ourselves and our families, and then give to our communities and then give to the country or the world or causes mm -hmm. that are meaningful mm -hmm. to you, that's when we can create a difference. And that's yes. really, I want to empower women to make a difference. Sure. I and love that. that. That's amazing. Of all ages, women of all, of ages. all ages. And the way and yes. the way we and and it's the truth of the matter though is the way that we can make a difference is with money. I yes. mean it just it yes. really really is. When you have money, you can give to where you want to right. give and you can get done what you need to get done. Yes. And it is very empowering and you know we can be smart about it. And so and and I have to say, you know, from what I understand you've said today and other times I've talked to you uh, you know, since you're asking women to come to you and tell you their vulnerable stories about what holds them back, you know, you have to be the one to write the book and tell your vulnerable story. So they feel like they're being led by yeah. a true leader, right? I mean, that's yeah. really ultimately why we write books is so that we can be leaders in, mm. in our field and be the ones that go first, right? To yeah. say, look, if I can bear my, you know, if I can like open up and bear my heart. Yeah you can do it too. So I'm really True. looking forward to that. Really looking forward to that book. I want to thank, thank you, you so much for being on the show. I love talking about money. So mm -hmm. I could have done this for an hour. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. We love reviews. If you enjoyed our show, head over to your platform of choice to drop a review, share with a friend, or even better, if you want to write a book, be in touch. You can find us at kimohara.com.